Alrighty. Take your Bible and turn to the book of John, chapter 12. As you know by now, I, I like the Gospel of John. I believe there's a lot of wonderful things revealed in the Gospel of John. If Calvinism was true and election was true, we would automatically assume that if there's any chosen, it would have been the nation of Israel because they're called the chosen of Israel. And they're also referred to as the elect of God. So I guess the Gentiles are just plain out of luck because God only chose them. But we know that's not true. But what I want you to see is there in the Gospel of John chapter 12. Look there in verse 12. Look in verse 12. As you know, this is his triumphal entry into the city, and everybody loves him. Well, not everybody. But a lot of the common people heard him gladly. They loved to come and watch in the sea. There were people that wanted to see more miracles, and some had already seen Lazarus come back from the dead. The story was out. So everybody come because they wanted to see what's he going to do next. You know, that's kind of like the way it ought to be with us. We can't wait for the next day to see what God's going to do today. What? Because if God's in charge of this day, God is a God of diversity. I'm so glad because I get bored quick. I like things different. I like something to happen. Just not too fast. I used to always pray, Lord, let her rip. <laughs> I slow down just a tad now. Betty's dad used to just cringe. She said, Yankee, don't pray like that. Because, you know, I was married to his daughter, and he was always concerned about what she had to go through because of what I was going to go through. But in verse 12, he says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. If you heard he was coming to Tampa, would you go out to see him? I would, too. Man, I'd be on the front row. I'd even leave early. You know, that's what some kids do when they hear some rock star is going to be at some place, and they get there early in the morning, stay all day just so they can be in line and get a good seat and fiddle. No way I'd do that for somebody like that. Now, if it was the Lord, that's the different story. Wouldn't it be something that if I was so famous of a preacher, people were lined out here in the front of the church since 4 o'clock in the morning waiting to get in, wanting to get on the front row to make sure they heard Preacher Arnold? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Can you see it? Can you, see, can you picture that? Have you ever heard the death of a vision? Well, I've thought about that, but I think I've seen the death of a lot of visions. But anyway, the Lord was coming to town. In verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. What's well, a good statement. That's an Old Testament quote. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, set thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, setting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, which means after his resurrection and all, they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. While it was going on, they didn't see it. You know, as I look back over the years, I have seen God working in my life, but at the time I didn't see it. Years later, I can see, man, alive, what an awesome thing. You won't believe this. When I sit back and I read 
the letters and so forth of the Dora Lake story, and, and I rehearsed it in my mind, and I read what was said and what had happened to Floyd Seekins and all that. Man, I realized, look what God did. Look what the Lord did. Think of all those people and hundreds and hundreds of people that went through their camps for 40 years that would have never been there if I had never went to a, a half an hour speaking engagement up in the mountains of Colorado. It just blows your mind. Because I didn't want to do some of those things. It's just that I did because I know I'm supposed to do it. Out of responsibility. Sometimes serving the Lord is not always doing what you want to do. It's doing what you're supposed to do. We would like to be able to well, serve the Lord is just doing what I really want to do. And if I don't really want to do it, I shouldn't do it. No, you still got to do it. There's probably a lot of times when the wife doesn't want to have to wash the dishes and make the beds and make meals. But she does it anyway. Why? Because there's somebody dependent on her. Sometimes there's people dependent upon you. You've got to be faithful. But look what he says here. He makes a statement in verse 16. These things understood not the disciples. That in verse 17. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave, raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. You ought to underline that statement. The world has gone after him. Of course, they weren't, but they couldn't stop his popularity. They could not stop what he was able to do. They could not prevent his miracles and so forth. They couldn't prevent the people from wanting to see Jesus. Now, there's an interesting statement that's made here. Down in verse 20, he says, And there were certain Greeks also among them that came up to worship at the feast. Some Greek Gentiles. Hey, what are these Gentiles doing here? In verse 21, the same, these Gentiles, came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, and you ought to underline this little statement, sir. Oh, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. This is what the Gentiles wanted. You see, he was the king of Israel. He was the king of the Jews. Salvation was of the Jews, but there were some Greeks that wanted to know. And believe it or not, the rest of this chapter, I believe, has a lot to do with not just Israel, but showing you how that it was for everybody, for everybody, even the Gentiles. So he says there in verse 23, Jesus answered them. So when he says Jesus answered them, then I know that this is his answer to those Gentiles, to the Greek, that want to say, we would see Jesus. And in this portion of Scripture, he says some wonderful things. He makes a statement there in verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Being glorified means it's, it's time for him to die to be buried, and to come back again from the dead and put on his perfection, the honor, the glory that's due to him because of who he is, to receive the glory of humbling himself as a man and being obedient even unto death. 
And where the Bible says, God hath given him a name which is above every name. And then in the gospel of John chapter 17, when he says, Father, glorify thou me as I glorify thee. I'm going to glorify you. You're going to glorify me. Anyway, beautiful. But look what he says here in verse seven, uh, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. If it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Picture a little kernel of corn. You can set it down here, and that's all you got is one little kernel of corn. But you can take that little kernel of corn, and you can plant it, and it dies, but another one comes from it. That's like the resurrection. To come back from the dead. But look how many kernels of corn there is on an ear of corn. And then how many ears do you have on a stalk? So from one little bitty one, look at the fruit. Jesus says, I believe, uh, in between the lines, he's referring to himself. I am going to die. And there's going to be much fruit because of it. And then usually on a, a stalk, there's at least two ears of corn. Well, we know that one is Israel, but the other one, I believe, is the Gentiles. But even in John chapter 10, he says, a other flock have I beside this flock. You see, what Christ did was not just for the chosen ones of Israel and just for the elect of Israel. It was for the whole world. Now, he's telling this as an answer to the Gentiles. Sir, we would see Jesus. I wonder why they wanted to see him. Well, look who he was. Look what he had been doing. His testimony was out. What he did was not done in the corner. So he makes a statement. In verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. That's the same thing that you'll find mentioned in the other Gospels when it talks about for the gospel's sake, losing your life for his sake. And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? But if you will lose your life for his sake, you find it. But if you don't, then you'll lose it. Did you know that if you do not serve God, you wasted your life? You lost your life. But if you'll serve the Lord and lose your life, give up your life and your choice of whatever you want and give it to the Lord, God says you will find your life. That's why there is such joy and happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment in the life of a person who is totally yielded to God. And the person that doesn't will go from one emptiness to another. It's like chasing little soap bubbles and they all pop in your hand. And you spend all your life chasing these little soap bubbles, these dreams. And when you get all done, you've got nothing left. Well, so look in verse 26. This is an awesome verse where it says, If any man serve me, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. And you ought to underline this portion of the verse. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You see, God wants to give every man praise, honor, and glory. Everybody's been watching the Olympics, and you see how that they get honored. And you've seen the tears of those that are gone down in the agony of defeat. 
But if you'll serve the Lord, you're not having to compete against another Christian. Your success is based upon how many others you can help win their race. Your race is trying to help others run the race. That's why God says, provoke one another unto love, unto good works. These are things God wants us to do. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. In verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. You see, Jesus was telling us about my joy, my peace, and in his sorrow. But didn't he also say, take up my cross and follow me? He also makes the statement that whenever you and I want to serve the Lord, there is going to be the element of suffering involved. Things that are going to happen against our will, against our spirit, to destroy us. When we talk about the devil seeking whom he may devour, it's one thing when the devil is seeking, but it's not. I used to have my kids, they would play hide and seek, especially little Eddie, when he was really small. And I said, all right, we're going to play hide and seek. Y'all hide. So everybody hide. Trina David, they go hide. Eddie was 10 years young. He'd he go hide. <laughs> I said, okay, here I come, ready or not. I said, is everybody ready? And Eddie will say, yes. And I know right where he's in. I have to, Eddie, don't, don't tell me what. Yes, okay, you don't say anything, because you don't want me to find you, okay? Okay. Here I come, ready or not. All right, where are you? Here I am. It's one thing for the devil to be on your trail. It's another thing for you to say, here I am, because you want the devil to come get you? Listen, that's why he says, make no provision for the flesh. Because that's where the devil finds you. The devil always finds you in the flesh. That's how he gets you. Is to get you in the flesh. Walking after the flesh. But anyway. Look what he says here. He makes a statement in verse 28. Father glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Remember this. The Bible tells us about Jesus. How that he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, for he did not consider it robbery to be called equal with God, because he was equal with God. But he humbled himself and became a man, even suffering and humility unto death. And where the Bible says, where God, the Father, hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he says, glorify thou me. Now look what he says here in verse 30. Jesus said unto him, this voice came not because of me, but for your sake, because all of a sudden they heard a, a thundering and they could not evidently discern the words. But they heard and they said, an angel's talking to him. And it wasn't, it was, just, um, it was just the Lord. And in verse 31, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. 
Now shall the princes of this world be cast out. See, the judgment of the world was when Christ went to the cross. That's where he judged all the sins of all the world upon Jesus Christ when he took the sins of past and future and put them all upon his son and the judgment of the whole world was passed upon him. And he died for the sins of the whole world. And he says, the prince of this world, who is the devil, has been judged. He is lost. Remember in the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15, where he talks about that he will bruise his heel, but thou shalt crush his head. Pretend there's a snake on the ground here. I might snap, pound on it with my heel, and he bite my heel, but I crushed his head. When Christ went to the cross, Jesus is the seed of the woman that bruised the serpent's head. Now, this is where you need to see here. He's talking about when I am lifted up. Remember, he also told Nicodemus in chapter 3. He says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And when you go back there in the Old Testament and you read the story, it's just a simple story about how they were bitten by serpents. But the only cure was if you were bitten, they put this brazen serpent, the form of a serpent, up on a pole, and whosoever would look would live. That's all they had to do, just look, and they'd live. So just look and live. And Christ says, as it was in the Old Testament, with that little story, when I am lifted up, if you'll just look, you can live. Look and live. There's even a song that they wrote called Look and Live. We look to Christ and you can live and have eternal life. But now look at what he says here. In verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw in this word all. I would even circle it and maybe draw a line all the way over there to those Greeks. Because it includes them. He's answering their question. What an answer. All men unto me. This he said signifying what death he should die. Isn't it amazing that he already knew how he was going to die? And yet in Psalms 22, it talks about how he died. And that was written over a thousand years before Christ actually came and died. So King David, who God used to write the prophecy, said that he will be pierced in his hands and in his feet. And yet none of the other previous governments, like the Babylonian government, the Medes and the Persians, the Alexandrian none of them had anything to do with crucifixion like the Romans did. So it, it, it narrowed it down. And he would die a certain way on a cross, piercing his hands and his feet. And he knew it before it ever happened, signifying by what death he should die. Look in verse 34. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man? If you're the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is supposed to live forever. See, they knew that. He's supposed to live forever. Well, how are you going to die? How can you be the Son of Man? See, there was so much they did not understand. And standing right there in front of them was the Messiah himself. And they knew some of the scriptures, but the Bible says that the Old Testament prophets even had a hard time distinguishing, discerning between the sufferings of Christ 
and the glory that should follow. You see, between the sufferings of Christ, when he died on the cross, and the glory of Christ, over 2,000 years later. And they saw it all as one. And they couldn't separate them. It's hard for them to understand. You and I say, well, I don't see how come they can't understand that. I can. Yes, but we're 2,000 years on this side of it. We can see and understand some things. This is clear as a bell. But they couldn't see it. Didn't understand. So look in verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Now I believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Chapter 80 says, I am the light of the world. And they said, you're not the light of the world. And he said, when you put me on the cross, my father will tell you who I am. And that's why when the light of the world was on the cross, and when he died, the light went out and it became dark. Uh, God spoke on behalf of his son. Boy, what an illustration. But it was truth. And God also shook the whole earth. And because it says there was a great earthquake. Boy, what a voice that must have been. How scared those people that were there must have been. But they were, they were messing with the Son of God. And he says in verse 36, Why you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. See, when you see and understand, remember in the first part of the Gospel of John, it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came to bear witness of the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light that all men might see and believe in the light. Jesus Christ is the light. He is the truth. When you know truth, you have light. You have knowledge. You have understanding. There's power in the knowledge of the Word of God. So he makes a statement. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, see, you become a child of light. So whenever he left, he says to his disciples, ye are the light of the world. So you and I are supposed to be the lights of the world. He says in the book of John chapter 5, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But the salt has no power if it doesn't come in contact with the other, with the flesh, with that which is supposed to preserve. So he says here in verse 36, these things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. In spite of all the miracles that he did, there's people who still not, would not believe. Why are certain things mentioned and some things not mentioned? The Bible says Christ did a lot of things that were never found in the Scriptures. They never wrote about them. But he says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. So there are certain ones that are used as evidence that Jesus was who he claimed to be. So he says here in verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah, going all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesied, even if you look in Isaiah 53 and verse 1, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is Christ. And he is revealed. And he shall grow up before them as a tender plant. But Lord, they, they don't believe. They did not believe the gospel. So he says here is a fulfillment of prophecy in verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet shall be fulfilled. Which he spake, Lord, 
who hath believed our report. So when you know that whenever it says that in the book of Isaiah 53, it's referring about Christ and their unbelief about who he was and what he was going to do. But being lifted up and making the payment for the sins of the world, even though he had the power to do all these miracles, they still wouldn't believe it. They saw him provide all those fish sandwiches for everybody. Wouldn't believe it. I saw a little statement in front of a church. I, I thought it was pretty good. And uh, it just says something simple like, um, he walks on water. He walks on water. I can't remember the first part of it, but it talked about he walks on the water. I wish I could remember all of it, but I can't. just shows you something that was different about the Lord. He walked on the water. But look what he says here. In the last part of verse 38, who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Christ. He's revealed. They see him. They hear him. Sir, we would see Christ. So he's telling them who he is. Isaiah told about me. This is who I am. I'm not just a man in the body. I'm the son of God. I am the Messiah. And Isaiah spoke about me. And that people still will not see or understand. But look what he says in verse 39. Therefore they could not believe. They just could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again. He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. That they should not see with their eyes. Nor understand with their hearts. And be converted. And I should heal them. Why does it say God hardened their hearts? And then it's not their fault. Because, see, God knows who will believe, and God knows who will not believe. And God knows whether or not if you saw truth, what you would do with it. And God says, because you have hardened yourself. You tie that in with the book of uh, Romans in chapter 9. And about how he hardened Pharaoh's heart. But when you go back there and you read the story, it's because he forced Pharaoh to make a decision. You see, it's like having children. And you say, well, my children are not rebellious. Yes, but you didn't tell them to do something. Tell them to do something or not to do something, then see if they're rebellious or not. But some parents are afraid to clamp down on their children because they don't want to find out they are rebellious and then they don't know what to do with it. So they just let them do whatever they want to do. I got wonderful kids. My kids are so wonderful. They're not rebellious. Yes, because you don't tell them what to do. You let them do whatever they want to do. You give them their own way. Tell your children what you don't want them to do and then you'll see how rebellious they are. So, by your forcing upon them decisions to make a decision, you have hardened their heart, but their heart is because of their own decision. Oh, it harmonizes. You may not see it, but it does. 